This is an ABC podcast. Okay, doing this test. First statement. I get nervous in social situations. Options. Hmm. Strongly disagree, disagree, agree nor disagree, agree or strongly agree. Strongly disagree. I prefer to have an overview than to get engrossed with detail. Strongly agree. Recruiting is one of the toughest issues businesses face today. Finding the right talent is critical for business success, but it's challenging to say the least, and hiring the wrong person is expensive in both financial and human terms. One tool in the recruiter's arsenal is a psychometric test. I see myself as a traditional person. Strongly disagree. I am sensitive to the needs of others. Hmm. I am sensitive. I agree. I am never unhappy. I strongly disagree with that because who is always happy? But what are they and how accurate are they? And does science trump intuition when it comes to hiring the right person for the job? I'm Lisa Leong. Stay with me on This Working Life today as we put data to the test. So my name is Dr. Amantha Imber. I'm the founder of Innovation Consultancy Inventium and I'm an organisational psychologist and the host of the How I Work podcast. So what a psychometric test is, is it's a scientifically validated way of assessing certain competencies and mental capabilities and even working styles. We at Inventium use psychometric tests religiously. So there's one particular one that we use called the Savile Wave, um, and we have no commercial affiliations with that. We just happen to love that particular test. And we joke that it's like a clairvoyant because it is so good at predicting people's behaviour. So where we use it, though, is really important and how we use it. So we use it right at the pointy end of our recruitment process when we're down to, say, a pool of three or four people from, say, an initial pool of 100 people. So right at the pointy end. And for us, it's another piece of the puzzle in assembling the jigsaw that is any job applicant. I think where we see companies get it wrong is where they use a psychometric test to give a definitive yes or no answer. So that is not how psychometric tests are designed to be used. How we use it is to paint a deeper picture of who this applicant is. We almost say it's kind of fast-tracking getting to know you and your ways of working, your preferred style, your strengths and your areas for development. And for us, we, we also use it to pick up on things that could be potential red flags. So we will never reject someone straight out on the basis of a psychometric test, which is which is really important because it is part of the bigger jigsaw. But for us, it's helped us know where is this person, if they join Inventium, going to need more support. With me listening in to Amantha is Dr Thomas Chamorro Premozik. Thomas is an organisational psychologist who works mostly in the area of personality profiling, people analytics and leadership development. His clients have included the British Army, Twitter, the BBC and JP Morgan. He's also the author of The Talent Delusion, Why Data, Not Intuition, is Key to Unlocking Human Potential. Thomas joins us from New York. G'day. 
Hi there. Also with us is Peter Wilson. Peter is the President and Chair of the Australian Human Resources Institute, ARI, which represents around 200,000 HR professionals. G'day to you, Peter. Good morning to you, Lisa. What is the estimated financial cost of a bad hire, Peter? Roughly two years' salary. Uh, we, uh, we've estimated it and, and compared our data with the US that it takes about a year to bring somebody up to speed in a job. But before that, uh, you've got to advertise, assess, um, bring the person in. So you're up to nearly two years. And if and 20% of external hires fail, the people you bring in that might look good actually don't work out on a one in five uh, probability. And so uh, then you're up for two years costs in terms of the expense you've made with that person and you've got to start again. So I think we've established that it's good to try and do this well. Amantha mentioned one test, but there are many, many different psychometric tests. What are the commonly used ones in Australia and what kinds of organisations use them, Peter? Uh, well, organisations in public and the private sector and the not-for-profit sector. So I think all medium to large firms have access to them and we're finding most of them are using some form of psychometric test. They're the ones that uh, Amantha referred to, Savile Holdsworth, SHL, you'll hear those tests talked about. Um, I've had uh, a lot of exposure to OPQ, Occupational Personality Questionnaire. There's the Californian Psychological Inventory. There are a number of tests around. And their power comes from two things. They're vested in uh, the science and, and the literature of psychology over many years. And of course, they have uh, a, a data algorithm that puts the questions together to bring out someone's uh, response to or uh, where they sit on various psychological attributes. And they are so long and complex and infuriating to fill out, I tell you, <laughs> yes. um, that uh, it's possible to have a consistency test at the end. So with the OPQ, there's a score one out of 10 for consistency. And if you are silly enough to try and game the questionnaire and, and present yourself as you would like to be seen rather than as you actually are, or you're doing a mixture of that, which is to some extent inevitable with the 200 question questionnaire, then you'll be found out and your consistency score will be very low. Thomas, often you can find out which test an organisation or company uses and many of them have practice tests online. Can you study for these kinds of tests? Yes, you can study. It's harder when they are measuring cognitive ability or what we would call intelligence. But even on those tests, if you practice and you familiarize yourself with the type of questions, with the assessments, studies have shown that people can improve up to 30% of their scores. Um, with personality assessments, is actually harder because you need to understand what the company is looking for. And it is very hard even for experts to um, decipher the scoring key, sort of work out what each question is trying to evaluate, and then how the company wants you to answer. My name is Mitchell. I graduated from mechanical engineering at the end of last year. Of all the jobs I applied, perhaps maybe 20 or so, perhaps a little over half, involve psychometric testing. They were always at the first stage. Depending on the result of your tests, you may or may not hear back. You can try and second guess what they want to hear. That can be tricky. We often discuss whether we were doing ourselves any favours by trying to preempt the kind of answers that they wanted. 
to be honest, we actually never found out. My advice would probably be just to answer them truthfully because then if you get through to the next round, the first thing that you need to do is a, is a face-to-face interview or a Skype interview and they're going to ask you very similar questions. I uh, was successful in finding a graduate position last year. However, it wasn't through psychometric testing. It was actually through a, uh, a family contact. One important point to consider when we think about the issue of either impression management or faking good is that I agree with him. It's probably best to respond in a spontaneous and natural way, but you also need to show that you understand enough about the social etiquette so that you can portray the best version of you. It's a little bit like in an interview when we're asked, do you enjoy working with others? Well, the honest answer would be, it depends who they are. Some people are quite obnoxious and we don't like working with them, but we're expected to say, yes, we are a team player. So it's not necessarily the honest answer that is the correct one or the one that gets you the job. You have to be able to portray yourself in the best possible way while still being true to your values. Peter, you have a story about hiring someone despite the test result. Yes, it it didn't end well. Early on when <clears throat> psychometric tests were being introduced, we did use them and I was a little sceptical. And uh, there was one test where the patterns showed the person would be quite volatile potentially in, in stressful or crisis situations and at times be a bit uh, demanding or domineering of their colleagues. But they interviewed very well and uh, they had a very good CV and they had uh, experience bang on the mark for what we were after. So I did ignore the tests and then learned to live the results later with this person as a colleague until, uh, and I was the boss, it reached the stage we had to terminate them. So after that, I took psychometric tests much more seriously, not as uh, something you totally rely on, but as as Thomas has indicated, uh, a very important input to assessing what a person is going to be like. And think recently in Australia about uh, the Royal Commission into Banking and some of the things that Thomas has said. There's a big moral dilemma in there in terms of recruiting someone to behave well in the team. If the team has a bad culture and they adjust their, modify their behaviour to accommodate that, then you do get into the problems we have where uh, people basically head on down the wrong track that, that they've accommodated rather than speaking honestly, as, as Commissioner Haynes said, to, uh, to call things as they are, whether they're on a board or whether they're selling a wealth product to a, a customer. So uh, psychometrics do actually show you how someone will respond under stress And you might want that. You might want your own internal disruptor to come in and and stir things up for reasons we've seen uh, all through last year when the Royal Commission met. So you started relying more on psychometric testing. Tell me about a time, though, when the tests have failed you. I don't think they have since that time. Um, I haven't overly relied on them, but they they have lived. When you've made a selection and having regard to the psychometric results, the person has walked that talk when they've been in the workplace. It's actually scary. Um, it, it's like having a dream. You know, the, you read the psychometric tests and you do see that person later. But they haven't really failed me. I haven't overly relied on them. It's, we still mm. go on multiple interviews. We go on rigorous assessment of the CV. We go on reference checking, particularly with uh, the last employer or the last boss and psychometric tests. It's one of four things. But uh, in my recent experience, they've always added value and they've always been able uh, to to show a picture of the, of the person that's joining you so you can help them. 
I mean, it's not it's not a an adversarial situation you're wanting. You're wanting someone to come in to the workplace and have a good fix on who they are and what they're like, and then do things to support them integrate in a positive way, but also, you know, value those differences because it's good to have people that, that don't always agree. So, Thomas, we know that you have a very specific uh, opinion in relation to this because of your book title. <laughs> Does the data from these psychometric tests, if correctly analysed, uh, are they more accurate than the standard interview process? Well, the answer would be yes, but only because the standard interview process is um, uh, suboptimal, you know, or not very good. There's a lot of independent evidence on this, and it shows that if you design your interview process well, and it is highly structured and standardized, and you have a scoring key to interpret what candidates say, it absolutely adds value and it predicts performance. Having said that, um, in most cases, people don't design the interview well, it's too unstructured, it's too spontaneous, and therefore we see that with a very simple test or assessment, we can actually have higher predictive accuracy than with most interviews that are out there. Fundamentally, what we're trying to achieve always is to get people to question their own instincts, as Peter was saying in the example. You know, sometimes we think we're seeing things in an interview, but our intuition tricks us. We think somebody has great people skills and they might be quite narcissistic, quite psychopathic, and the assessment can cut through that and give us more rigorous data on what the person is likely to do in the future. Research has showed that recruiting via an unstructured get-to-know-you kind of job interview is notoriously flawed. It's been said that these kind of interviews tell more about the interviewers and their unconscious biases than the interviewee. Peter, your thoughts? Well, they do. And I think uh, there was a study done in the US where um, the least reliable interviewer was the boss. You know, the people that are interviewed around the 360 dial of the boss, peers, and subordinates. It's those that walk along, that work alongside or work for a person that actually have a better fix on that person. So the, the boss does have their own prejudices. They have their own ambitions. They want people around them to help them advance and help the group they're leading advancing. So those things can accumulate to be a giant blindside on who you're looking at in the interview. Whereas uh, the, the harder heads are around uh, peers that a person is going to be working with and, and any subordinates they have. So We've certainly seen a change in the interview structure to be not just with the boss and the HR manager, but once that gateway's passed, to actually expose the person to peers in their group and, and to, uh, to colleagues that'll be working to them. And then at the end of that, all of those interviews will help determine the result. So the boss has to give up a bit of power if you're going to get a good result. And Thomas, in relation to psychometric testing, um, how much can that reduce unconscious bias in your view? Well, it, it is a very good tool for reducing unconscious bias because a score is a score. And if you know what you're looking for and what the score's connection is with that outcome, there is no room for human intuition or a spontaneous interpretation of things. The score is the score. Conversely, when we're looking at humans interviewing humans, I am very skeptical that any form of unconscious bias training can fully eliminate the possibility of prejudice interpretation of that person. Imagine that I undergo a lot of unconscious bias training and I work out or I find out that I'm prejudiced against women. 
even if I'm interviewing a female candidate and I'm trying to suppress my prejudice, it's not going to work. In fact, it will be very distracting. I won't be able to focus on what the candidate is saying. I might overcompensate and, you know, humans cannot set aside their emotions when they're judging others. This is why having an independent source of data or an assessment is a very, very powerful tool. Peter, your thoughts? Yeah. Um, Organisations have spent a lot of money on training for unconscious bias and the value that's come out of it is it's made people aware of what unconscious bias is and perhaps more conscious of how better to manage themselves. But I agree with Thomas that there gets to be a point where uh, your unconscious bias is so hardwired and how you've brought up, it'll be very hard to change some habits or some responses you have to certain situations. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't try too much. Awareness is good. Uh, and psychological training and tests are very good because they do make you aware, perhaps for the first time, of what your personality type is. You, you start, before you do uh, a test, you think other people think and look like me or we're all the same, we're not. And you start to appreciate uh, better uh, awareness of yourself and then awareness of others and how better to relate to that. And they're very, very good journeys for each person to make in their own career and life. My name's Alison, and around 15 years ago, I went for a psychometric test to apply for a project management come account management role at a contact centre. I applied for this role to get into this particular organisation because they impressed me. Interestingly, I had completed the psychometric testing and found out uh, a week or so later that I, in fact, was not suitable for the role, which was fascinating because I'd actually spent probably 10 years prior actually performing at either at the same level or above that project management level that I was actually applying for. I actually felt quite demoralised by it and felt like I didn't fit the bill But then I also reflected upon it and I thought, okay, well, you know, if I can't even make tea for these guys, what's the point of me even pursuing any further role with them? So uh, it was actually a really good thing because I actually also realised that I was a slightly different thinker than what they might have been looking for. And it actually consolidated in my mind that I wanted to pursue some other areas. So it was actually quite helpful in that regard. So, Thomas, in simple terms, what is artificial intelligence and how is that being used in recruitment at the moment? The simplest way to think about artificial intelligence in the context of recruitment is just a powerful method for identifying connections or links between different data points. Imagine that in its simplest form, it's finding a a connection between how people answer certain questions and how they perform in the future. So it's really a more powerful and fancy and uh, complex way of correlating one thing with another. To the degree that you have good outcome data, good performance data, artificial intelligence is a very effective mechanism for identifying relationships that the human eye might miss. So in a way, you can think about it as cheaper prediction or faster, more efficient prediction. 
Given that um, artificial intelligence is still being programmed by humans, to what extent are their unconscious biases potentially going to be coming in through things like algorithms, which run the artificial intelligence? Not necessarily, right? So, for example, we have seen many other instances where if the data are clean, even though humans are programming the systems, um, their interests, um, preferences or emotions are irrelevant. Where we do see um, noise and potential for bias is when we train artificial intelligence or machine learning algorithms to predict biased outcomes. Mm. This has happened, right? So if you train AI to predict which candidates will be positively evaluated by supervisors or will be liked by human interviewers, then AI will not just replicate human biases, it would actually augment it and perfect them, right? So this is really important because organizations now, if they want to leverage AI, need to um, be more disciplined collecting real objective performance data on their employees. If you train a model to predict the bias outcome, then there will for sure be biased. Peter, what's your view of using AI in recruitment? Uh, Pretty much the same. It's very powerful in terms of basic data scanning and assessing the facts as to whether they're truthful or whether the lily's been gilded. Where they get into complications is where they're assessing interpersonal and relationship management skills because then the the robot, whoever it's been programmed, is going to reflect the biases of those that it's programmed it. Classic case uh, I came across in, a, in an Oxford workshop, a, 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 a professor was saying that it's uh, a picture of this man, she should put up a picture of a, a guy that looked a bit like a 19-year-old Chris Hemsworth and he'd been to Eton, he'd majored in uh, mathematics, um, classics, history, He'd been the debating captain, the basketball captain, went on to Oxford, did much the same, and he applied for a summer job. And he was interviewed by uh, an AI uh, device, and it said he had no relationship management skills. And uh, and the lecturer said, I know he has very good relationship management skills. It's my son. And uh, he, he is the way I describe <laughs> Now, she was a bit biased too. But the, <laughs> but the whole exercise shows that there's a level at which AI interventions can be as precarious as the humans that code them. So let's put uh, this question to you both. Does science and artificial intelligence and data, will that trump the old interview, do you think, for recruitment? Peter? I'll always have an and in there. I will will always be aware of the latest developments in AI. They're getting better uh, and they're giving you enormous power. But I do believe in the human touch. If you're going to work with someone, there's nothing like seeing them, talking to them, getting a sense of what they're like. My biases are, uh, you know, they are what they are and that's always the case. But in the workplace, you have to get on with someone and you have to be able to talk to them and reason with them. And, and there are some some support, some aids that can help you assess that. But I would never really back away from trying to take a total assessment, but the decision would rest with me, not a robot. Thomas? Well, I think probably when it comes to evaluating very senior candidates like executives or leaders, it will be a long time until we can eliminate um, expert and trained uh, interviewers, human interviewers. I would argue, of course, that even today, those experts would make their job better and would be more effective at spotting potential 
if we also give them data, and that data might come from AI or it might go come from science-based assessments. Um, where I think the interview might disappear and be disrupted is at the level of the very high volume, especially if you think that a lot of people are not even interviewed today because it is expensive and it takes time. The possibility that, they are, that AI can match or even improve on what humans could do very quickly with these more junior candidates is, of course, very exciting and could help those people get jobs when they are not getting jobs. And helping us sort through the art and the science of recruitment today. Thank you to Dr. Thomas Chamorro Primuzic and Peter Wilson. Uh, Dr. Thomas Chamorro Primuzic is an organisational psychologist. He works mostly in the areas of personality profiling, people analytics and leadership development. And Peter is the president and chair of the Australian Human Resources Institute, otherwise known as ARI, which represents around 200,000 HR professionals. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to Maria Tickle, our producer for today, and our technical producer, Julian McKenzie. I'm Lisa Leong. You've been listening to This Working Life, and until next week, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.